But good morning. Happy Easter. Would you stand? Let's rise with Christ and worship him this morning.
foot of the cross. Jesus is way. God so loved the world. Well, good morning. You can have a seat. Good morning. Well, we are grateful to be worshiping with y'all on Easter, celebrating the resurrection of our Savior. Hey, my name's Abel, and this is Beth, and we are on the community team, which is our adults' small groups team, and uh, we get to help connect people at Fellowship, and we're, we're grateful to have that role. If you are new with us, boy, we're glad you're here. We'd love to help you get connected, answer any questions you have. So you can do that a couple different ways. You can text hashtag new to the number on the screen, and someone will reach out to you and answer questions, help you get connected, or better yet, you can stop at the community booth on the way out and visit with someone. And I hope that somebody handed um, you one of these handouts, and on it are several opportunities that you can find to connect, to connect with us in a number of ways, but our prayer is that you will find a place to belong, grow, serve, so we can multiply and reach out to our Bentonville community. Hey, I'm not sure if you've noticed that we have a bit of a challenge with our traffic and parking areas I here. Heard, I heard somebody mention that. Um, yeah. Just a yeah. couple mm -hmm. hundred, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Hey, this is our solution. We are going to start our first service at 8.45 from now on. That service will change and give us 15 more minutes to turn the parking lot around and find places for those that want to come at 10.30 to park. So next week it starts 8.45 and 10.30. Mm -hmm. Would you all stand for me and, uh, and let's, let's pray and start the service together. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the gift of worshiping together as a body. Lord, would you reveal yourself to us today? Reveal yourself to us in new and fresh ways. We're so grateful. So grateful for you and uh, for the gift that Jesus is in our lives. Thank you for his resurrection. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Gracious Redeemer, worthy of our soul's devotion and labor, we offer you our very lives. And as we bring our tithes and offerings to you this resurrection morning, we ask that you use them to raise your sons and daughters to new and living hope throughout our city and the world. Amen. Amen. 
He is risen. He is risen indeed. Lord Jesus, we are grateful. Grateful because we are alive. Only because you are alive. Our hope lives and it's as strong as you are. You are the God of all. Lord of all. King of kings as we've sung this morning. We'd ask that you would anchor our hope this morning in you in your life, your death, your resurrection, and even your coming again. Would all of our attention be focused on you? Take our minds that scatter and our hearts that wander. Draw them in to you because that's what our minds and our hearts and our lives need most. Use your word to do that. We trust you will. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning and happy Easter. So good to see you this morning. You would have been so proud of our 9 a.m. brothers and sisters. Some of them even walked to church from nearby neighborhoods with children in tow complaining the whole way that it was too cold. And I thought to myself as I watched them, well done, mom and dad, well done. You are giving your future grandchildren the gift of hearing their parents say, we walked to and from church in the cold both ways. So wisely done. In my Holy Week devotion uh, this week that I wrote, uh, I shared that this is the, the first Easter without my dad. Uh, he passed away two months ago. In fact, last Easter dinner was the last time that dad sat around the table with the whole family gathered around. It makes me wonder, uh, if we only knew then what we knew now, we probably would have lingered a little longer, huh? Uh, Dad battled the last nine months of his life, uh, an uphill walk physically. Uh, mentally, it was a strain and a challenge, emotionally draining as well. And yet spiritually, he grew brighter and stronger through that nine-month battle, uh, which was really quite amazing. In, in some ways, uh, it was almost ironic considering the home I grew up in, not meaning bad or dysfunctional, but meaning our home was very typical of our current culture. Uh, typical in the fact that we didn't talk much about death or the end of life. You know, one professor has observed that the way Americans deal with death is threefold, three ways. First, we deny it. We don't ever think about it unless we're forced to think about it. And if you can't do that, secondly, we deflect it. We treat death as that thing that we're trying to keep at bay as much as possible, even telling ourselves that our diet, our exercise, our supplements, or whatever, will somehow keep it out there. We all know that's a pretty short-lived gain at best. And when you can no longer do those two things, we, we try the third strategy, which is to downplay death. Just try to reframe it. It's nothing more than the circle of life, a necessary part of the journey. Well, in many ways, that was the home that I grew up in. And yet I noticed something about my father in the last nine months of his life. See, as he anchored his life more in his retirement years and the, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, he became more spiritually grounded and alive. And in those last nine months when death became imminent, he had a contentment and a serenity about him, a, a peace. People started saying things about his gratitude and his joy level that just kept rising. How does that happen? How do you explain something like that? Tim Keller once said that human beings are hope 
shaped creatures. I believe that wholeheartedly. He said that how you live today is completely shaped by what you believe about your future. You know what's ironic? Tim Keller tweeted this months after he was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. His present hope was still very vibrant because of his belief about the future. And I think that's what I saw in my dad. Now, some might say, so exactly why are you talking about death so much on Easter morning? And the answer, hopefully, is obvious. I mean, first, it's because chapter one of the Easter story is a death story. We call this Resurrection Sunday because, well, it's life after death. We are resurrected. Jesus was resurrected, re-lifed after dying. So the brightness of an Easter resurrection morning is only bright because of the dark backdrop of a night of death. But there's a second really practical reason to talk about death, even on an Easter Sunday morning, and that's because of where we are in the series that we've been teaching through. If you're, if you're new to Fellowship Bible this morning, um, first of all, we're glad that you're here, and we don't say that tritely. You're actually one of the reasons we're here. Uh, we all came and put this place on McCullum because of you. We think that much of our neighbors and our city. So we're glad you're here. But you need to know that you're stepping not just into an Easter service, but right smack in the middle of a series that's been going on for a little while. In fact, the series we're looking at is in the Gospel of John, where we're looking at seven I am statements of Jesus, and then seven miracles of Jesus, and then seven one-on-one -on -one encounters Jesus has with individuals. And here's the hope. In 21 weeks, we just want to get a, a little better vision of who Jesus is, what Jesus can do, and how he can change our lives. And so this morning, we find ourselves on the fifth week of the I Am Statements, and it happens to be at a place where Jesus, who's close friends with three siblings, their names are Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, Lazarus has died, and Jesus, he comes to the funeral. We pick up in John chapter 11, verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Martha knows Jesus can do miracles. She's seen plenty of them. Her comment here is, Jesus, if only you had been here. And by the way, I think that's a line that we say often, even if we don't say it out loud. When the tragic happens in life, we say, Lord, if only you had showed up differently, done it differently. And in this situation, Martha's statement might be an accusation, I don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus does not rebuke her. He knows she's in pain. And so look at how he responds in verse 23. Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, well, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. What's Jesus doing? In a painful moment, he's setting Martha's eyes on the future. 
He knows that's where hope's coming from, right? A future hope changes the way you live today. But Martha interprets Jesus' statement as just this theological truth about what happens to life after we die. Yeah, I know things work out in the end, but you can almost hear the fact that it doesn't anchor her with the kind of hope Jesus wants her to see. Jesus, though, he didn't come just to be a resident theologian that talks about life after death. No, he came to that grave to bring hope. And so look at what he answers next. It's our key text. Verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He asks. I want you to notice that Jesus doesn't correct Martha's theology right now. He doesn't correct her view of the resurrection at the end of time. But what he is going to do is clarify that and focus it. He's going to tie the resurrection not just to a future event of something that happens after you die, but he's going to tie the future resurrection to a present person, himself. He describes the fact that he, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And the implications of having a present resurrection in a person is staggering for you and me. People who walk through life and have to deal with highs and lows and losses and gains. And Jesus begins to say, first of all, I am the resurrection. And he's going to define that for all of us by saying in the rest of verse 25, what does it mean for him to be the resurrection? Well, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. In other words, there will be life after the grave for those who believe in Jesus' death and resurrection. And then he goes on to say, I am the life. And he defines what that means for us in verse 26 by saying, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. What does that mean? That means the grave will never be the end of life for the believer in Jesus Christ. That for the believer in Jesus Christ, in our life story, death is a comma, not a period. Listen, everything we struggle with in life, fundamentally all comes back to the same issue. We struggle with the fact that death is a period when there's no hope of the resurrection. The same root disease affects all of us and every issue we address. The root disease, well, quite simply, it's sin. See, sin separates us from God. God is life. So if you're separated from life, well, that's a pretty good definition of death. The root fundamental issue all of us, every child in the room, every woman, every man, deals with is the same battle against sin and death. Right now, the evil oppression in Ukraine, it has the same root evil, the same enemy that the evil pride that lives in me and in you has. Sin and death, being separated from God. So our greatest enemy is sin and death. We know that everything we face emotionally and physically and relationally, uh, spiritually, all of that is just a symptom of that real disease. And so we need somebody who will love us enough to come in and deal with the root problem. We need somebody 
to deal with the sin in us and around us, but also deal with the death that results from sin and enter Jesus Christ. Because he says, I am the resurrection, meaning I conquer death. And then he says, I am the life, meaning I am the only one who can be your life giver. And verse 25 and 26 tells us that the resurrection of Jesus promises that it lives in a person, but it also lives in the present. That as alive as Jesus is today, and he is alive, so is our hope for resurrected life. Now look at how resurrected life comes from us or comes to us. Zero in on the little phrase that Jesus uses after his promise. Remember the big picture promise? I am the resurrection and the life. How does his resurrection and life come to us? The simple statement is this. Whoever believes in me. And that is the most inclusive and exclusive invitation I've ever heard. It's inclusive because it's open to whomever believes. Or as Jesus says later, everyone who believes. It's exclusive because the invitation is found only in Jesus Christ. Why? Because only Jesus Christ has conquered death and dealt with sin. So is the salvation that God offers inclusive or exclusive? The answer is yes. Wonderfully inclusive. Offered to whomever and everyone which means all of us, and at the same time, wonderfully exclusive, found only in the one who's conquered death himself and dealt with sin. God invites all who believe in Jesus to experience his resurrected life. And Martha hears that and, well, hope starts to birth in her heart and she loves her sister and knows her sister's grieving like she was back in the house. She runs to get her sister Mary and brings Mary to Jesus, and we pick up in verse 32. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You've heard that question or statement before, haven't you? That's exactly what her sister said. And yet Jesus responds to Mary differently than he responded to Martha. To Martha, he gave this deeply, profoundly theological answer, but to Mary, he responds in the next verse, verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Then verse 35, the shortest verse in all the Bible. Jesus wept. Why did Jesus cry? Because Lazarus was dead? No, he knew in the next few minutes what he was about to do. The text tells us why Jesus wept. We actually get to peek inside the mind and the heart of the Savior. The text tells us that he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Maybe it would help you know that the word deeply moved it's translated elsewhere in the New Testament as angered or indignant. Greatly troubled, it's translated agitated. 
Jesus was angry and agitated. Why? Because people were grieving? Oh, no. No. He was angry because of why they were grieving. Because of death. You see, death is like the bully in the playground that has been tormenting the children he loves. And we as the children, we let death in through sin and then became mastered by sin and death and could do nothing on our own ever since we've needed somebody to liberate us. And Jesus, well, he is the Christ. When we say Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name, it's a title. Jesus the Christ means he's Jesus, God's promised rescuer. So he steps into this world to liberate us from what oppresses us most, sin and death. You see, to Martha, Jesus may have given a theological answer, but he didn't come to be just an intelligent theologian. And to Mary, he may have offered her an empathetic shoulder, but he didn't come just to be an empathetic counselor. I have friends that are counselors and theologians, and my life is better because of their insight and their empathy. But when it comes to dealing with death, <laughs> I need more than empathy and insight. I need a liberator. I need someone to conquer death and give life. And for that to happen, I need someone to deal with the sin that ushered death in. I need a savior. And in Jesus the Christ, we have a savior and an overcomer. Anger and indignation moved Jesus to tears and then it moved into action. Look at verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again. In other words, angry and indignant over death. He came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him, let him go. In other words, let the dead man walk in freedom. Life himself stood outside of a tomb and conquered death only because Jesus, as the resurrection and the life, would one day be the dead one in the tomb and burst forth from that tomb in life. St. Augustine has always speculated that, that Jesus had to make sure he included Lazarus' name in this, otherwise all of the dead would have risen <laughs> and terrified the poor town because he is master over all death because he conquered the grave. Hunter House will teach so much more about this miracle later in our series, but for this Easter resurrection morning, could at least we zero in to Jesus' invitation and offer again? His promise in verse 25 and 26. In 25 and 26, that core passage, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. 
And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And because God loves people so much, not just the world at a global distant view, but individual people like you and me, he moves from this open invitation that said things like everyone and whomever, but he closes with a question, do you believe this? Believe, it just means trust. Do you trust that Jesus and his resurrection from the dead guarantees life eternal for you? Do you trust, bank on, depend on, cling to, hope in that Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only thing that pays the debt for your sin? He said, if so, if you are trusting in what I've done on the cross and what I've done in the empty tomb, then you have resurrection life and it starts now. And so I wonder, could I ask you the same question Jesus asked? Do you believe this? Bank your life on the fact that what Jesus did on the cross and in the empty tomb is the only hope that you have for eternal life. Maybe you're someone who's, who's familiar with Easter, but, but distant from God. And you've kind of been banking on and hoping that your good will your bad, outweigh your bad one day when you stand before God. I don't know what your vision of yourself is, but that frightens me when I look at myself. I need something more solid than me. Because I've never lived on both sides of the grave. Jesus has. And he says, if you'll trust in me, you'll have life eternal. Your invitation this Easter is to turn from putting your hope in anything else, your good works, uh, religious approach, your hope that your good outweighs your bad, anything that's your strategy, and put it all on Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross and in the empty tomb. You know, the best way to articulate belief or trust or faith is usually through prayer. Prayer voices the language of our heart. And if you've never trusted Christ for salvation, if you have never depended only upon his death and resurrection to save you, this is the morning to say yes to his invitation to you and to believe. I'm gonna pray, and if this prayer echoes the, the voice or the cry of your heart, would you pray it along as well? Trusting Christ for salvation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and living the life we could not live, a perfect and sinless life. Thank you for dying on a cross, the death that we deserve to die because of our sin. But then thank you for raising from the dead, breaking the chains of death, and then freely giving liberation to us. Right now, I trust. I trust only in you to pay the price of my sin. I trust only in you to be the guarantee of life because of your resurrection. Yes, Lord, I believe. I believe. I believe. 
beautiful to celebrate Easter with each of you. Power and prayer, God offers that to us. And as I think about all the people that pray for us each week, we have small groups all across our church that are praying for you, that are praying for our people that are overseas. They're praying for people that are hurting and need some hope. And if you would like somebody to pray with you this morning, there are people here that would love to come up after the service and pray with you. And for those of you that are trying to figure out the connection part, there's a whole bunch of people in the foyer that would love to help you get connected or answer any question that you might have. Yeah, if you come back to this service next week, it'll be at 1030. But if you come to the earlier one, 845. Say that with me. 845. You guys got it. So as we exit, a couple requests. Uh, exit to the south of the building. If you don't know which direction is south, just follow people. Don't go the opposite direction. And then uh, secondly, would you introduce yourself to one another as you exit and uh, wish people a happy Easter. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Happy Easter. Happy Easter.